the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your teams, The Athletic delivers everything you need on every sports story that matters. I passed around a piece yesterday. Keith Law, longtime baseball writer, breaking down every farm system in Major League Baseball. It's super interesting. Even if that's not your jam, <laughs> uh, just kind of knowing what's coming up the pipeline, because baseball is not like the other sports where we, we have these drafts. There's a, a quick transition for these players directly into professionals. Some of these guys get kind of lost in translation in Minor League Baseball, but they're damn good players, and they show up in September or October, and they're the reason your favorite team gets <laughs> deep into the postseason. So it's kind of neat to see... Uh, a thorough, long, kind of actually graded breakdown, ranked breakdown of these farm systems. And there's some notable teams in the top of the list for sure. Uh, just one of the things you can get today on The Athletic, of course. Visit theathletic.com slash track. Get 40% off your first year subscription, ad-free content. We're going to bring in Scott Allen for the entirety of the show. Two separate issues, though. Let's start with some football. I did, I did a piece this week breaking down franchise tag candidates more than ever, more than I've ever had to put on a list. It's just one of those years where, you know, with the cap situation, you know, I'm not sure where the multi-year contracts are, gonna, are going to be, even for the more notable free agents. And I've got, you know, three or four players on here who make it tagged twice, <laughs> a second franchise tag, because it's just cheaper than the alternative right now. So we're going to break down the candidates, some of the notable ones there in terms of those and, and the projected figures and all that good stuff. Flip the switch, bring in our buddy Keith Smith, who is our NBA contract slash statistical insider. Kind of breaks down everything about the sport right now. It's been a few weeks. Good to have Keith back on the show and understand where we are in this season because it's, uh, boy, the standings are darn close in both conferences. So there's a, you know, a couple of outliers, but it's really neat to kind of get inside some of these teams from his perspective and understand who may be pushing forward, pulling back, making big moves, taking on some bad contracts to uh, clean themselves up for the next couple of seasons. Keith's got all that information as well. So he'll be the back end of this show. But let's start with Scott. Scott, welcome to the show. Football season is done, but not really. Never done. <laughs> and never, never done. done. Even with boat parades and, and Lombardi trophies getting thrown all over the place. Uh, we're right back to the business of it right now this morning. I imagine these front offices are scrambling to kind of understand. I would have to guess there's two things happening right now, specifically. Number one, they're creating their own bubble lists, right? Which players on other teams are out the door in the next couple of weeks? Because that's going to be the easiest place to pounce. You know, it's not going to be March free agency, you know, and the trades are going to be there, but that's, a, that's obviously a more complicated approach. But, you know, is J.J. Watt just going to be thrown to the curb in the next two weeks to, to the point where, you know, that's a guy that's made a ton of money already. You're not going to need to break the bank on J.J. Watt to bring him into a contendee team that he wants to be, to, to be with. Those are exactly the kind of guys you want to identify first, I would imagine. And then second, of course, is how do we take care of our own? Who's going to get the multi-year extension? Who's, going to, who, who's a franchise tag candidate? You know, who's an outright candidate? It's going to be... a a quick turnaround for a lot of these front offices, especially the ones that really just finished the, you know, their seasons a couple of days ago. What's your overall sense here? I guess on, on the contending teams, right? The bills, the chiefs, the Browns, the Packers, the saints, the Buccaneers, of course, 
you know, is it going to be more traditional conservative this year? Are, are we going to see more franchise tags from teams like this because the window is now and we, and there's just not enough information to push too much money down the line in terms of multi-year guarantees? Yeah, I, I, I think you, you're spot on there because if, if the cap goes down this year, which it most likely is going to, we don't know necessarily what it's going to do the following year. I mean, they could put out a projection, but you know, if they go another season with limited fans in the stands, you, you really can't allocate that money to that next year because if you, you know, if you front load a contract, that's going to hurt you. Whereas if you backload a long term and spread things out, that may have other implications that you're not necessarily uh, thinking about right now. Yeah, Scott. And, 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 then, and specifically, there are two teams, Tampa Bay and San Francisco, that almost always front load their contracts. It's just how they operate. Uh, San Francisco yeah. likes to get all the money in the first two years so that they have control after that. Tampa Bay doesn't use signing bonuses. So they like to pump big guaranteed salaries and big roster bonuses early on in their contracts, again, for control. You know, I'm not sure Tampa can go this route. We, we, we discussed it last show. There's just too many mouths to feed. And you're right. I mean, no team has a smaller window than Tampa Bay because their quarterback is 43 years old. So just thinking from a team structural, you know, contract structure standpoint, it makes it even more complicated because are they going to break their habit? Are they going to break their standards to, you know, are they going to have to give Tom Brady a signing bonus in order to pay him properly, but move his cap down the line a little bit? It, it's so interesting to think in that regards, because you're right. Who knows where that 2022 cap is going to be? It may not even back to the 198 mark we're at today. So uh, that's what I mean about the lack of information. And that's just two team examples. You know, but, but, and, and, go ahead. And, and that is one, uh, you know, positive aspect from the NBA is they set that cap and said, this is going to be the minimum for the next three years. The NFL doesn't have that. So teams are sort of flying blind outside of, you know, they were saying 175, then it's 185. Now it's looking like maybe 180. Um, So they don't even really know where this year's cap is going to be as opposed to two or three years down the line. Um, and then the other great point that you made is, you know, what's different with the NFL is if a guy gets waived right now, they're technically free agent and can go sign with another team. So what what teams are going to have those cap casualties now and in the next few sure. weeks leading up into March that teams can pick off because of the they have to get their cap down as much as they do. And subsequently, what teams are going to quote unquote, have a trade ready to go as soon as the league flips so that that money can get shifted off the books immediately when the league year starts. It's super interesting because there's teams that are, you know, in massive financial hell, uh, like the Saints. Yeah, we're ranging uh, from 70 of space to 70 over right now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) couldn't be a bigger spectrum. So so I think you're right. I think teams probably have multiple whiteboards listed out right now of, all right, these are the guys that we're probably going to cut. These are the guys that if they do get cut from other teams, this is our rankings of how we're going to go after them. Sure. Here is a list of guys on every team that we think may get a franchise tag. And if not, we're going to go after those guys. And then here's our guys that we already have under contract. Who do we need to 
uh, rank them as far as who has to have a restructure or a base, you know, base salary restructure or extension to shift some money down the line. I bet you they have multiple whiteboards that are extremely long right now. So two things. Number one, you're going to hear the word pay cut an awful lot because everybody knows the situation that's that's coming. And teams are going. Teams aren't going to come to come to players and offer up a restructure as the as Plan A. They're going to come to agents and players and say, "Hey, we need you to play ball." You know, if you got a ten million dollar roster bonus, hey, maybe we can move that to next year. Maybe we can cut that in half. You know, because you're right, moving cap down the line is maybe more dangerous than ever right now. Not knowing. I just want to say this real quick from a league standpoint, because I'm disappointed that where things are going. I'm disappointed that it's going all the way down to the 180, 181 mark when you're literally every other league has figured out a way not to do this. Anyone who follows this show or follows the financials of footballs, football knows this more than ever right now. The cap is a myth. The salary cap is just a toy to play with, to maneuver under a threshold. There couldn't be a bigger difference between Ben Roethlisberger's $41 million salary cap and the $19 million of cash that he is supposed to make in 2021. That right there tells you everything you need to know about how the NFL contract system is two separate avenues. There's a cap road and there's a cash road. So to that point, knowing this, everybody knows this. This is not a thing. Why does the salary cap have to be the thing that takes the hit? Why can't we just drop the floor? So the cap stays where it is, 198. The floor comes down, which, which does this. It allows teams to pause, not have to make reckless veteran cuts, you know, and, and, unemployed, mm-hmm. and unemployed people immediately because of this one move. And two, if you're a low team, if you're, who's going to be the worst team? The Falcons, uh, maybe the Panthers, just I'm throwing names out. If you're going to be a terrible team and it is not time for you to overspend anywhere, now you don't have to. Now you can be a true small market team in 2021 and there isn't a floor because the floor is over a three-year process, only a four-year process anyway. Four-year, yep. You can take a hit in 2021 and just say, hey, it's financially wrong for us to spend a lot this off this year. The league has made it possible for us to take a break this year. Do it. Why, why don't we just for, allow teams to not have to spend as much cash this year, change the, the current three- to four-year window a little bit percentage-wise versus dumping the cap $18 million, which is literally going to put people on the open market without a job, and the only way they're getting back is if they're taking a third of what they were supposed to make. It's just a fact. I mean, by the way, that's America as a whole right now with a lot of you know, employment situations. But to just cut that number off and cut teams off at the head, which is what they're doing, there are other ways to, to approach this. And every other league has figured out the other ways to approach this, whether it's spread out the losses over three, four years, whether it's address the cash situation so that teams can become the Baltimore Orioles or the Cleveland Indians in 2021 and just not have to do, you know, not be forced to do things. I, I just think this is the worst case scenario for the NFL because it is literally cutting the head off the snake at the very top and making all 32 teams destroy some form of their roster. I hate it. I, I think there's a, there was a more sophisticated approach to this 
And if you told me it was going down to 190 instead of 198, I'm probably not this angry about it. But an $18 million bath is too much. There are going to be there are going to be jobs lost because of this, and that stinks. That's that really stinks. Do you, do you think that the NFL teams would be better off having a cap system where it's their AAV, sort of like the NHL, or in some <laughs> respects the the, the, the MLB, where it's. <laughs> well, I, I, I get that. I get that. But I'm I'm saying from a. I know what you're saying. From, I, yeah. From the, from the cap situation, you know, you know, you know that the, their cap is always going to be that AAV and obviously it would make the contract structures completely different than what they are now. But at least, you know, NHL has their hard cap, but you know, the cap hit is the AAV and that's how they're reported when uh, guys sign in free agency baseball. It's the AAV essentially, um, for their, their payroll. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I, there's positives and negatives, Scott. Um, I tend to like the fact that the NFL can be fluid and flexible in most instances. Uh, because look, you know, I, I'm, I'm being a little reckless in saying what I'm saying there, you know, the smart teams are going to figure this out without problems. They're, they are, they're going to restructure. They're going to move money around. They're going to, they're going to build an option years for 2022. You know, there's going to be, but, but at the same point, there's going to be a lot of teams that just push away from veterans and dive into, you know, acquiring extra draft picks and using the compensatory draft picks to build out their roster because it's cheap, it's easy, it's safer. Uh, you know, yeah. may, may not be a winning recipe, but that's what the smarter teams are going to do right now. So, you know, the fact well, that it is fluid, saying. the fact that it is fluid, Scott, is going to allow smart GMs to maneuver yeah. versus, you know, how would the Chiefs even operate with a forty-five million dollar AAV from a Holmes right now? That that that's just completely torching your ability to to build a team around him. So there's there's positives and negatives to it, mm-hmm. um, but the NFL kind of stands alone. And in that regard, that that's to me that's more of a reason to be even more creative with how you handle this revenue loss. You know, just just lowering the cap seems so rudimentary to me. You know? Yeah. You know, I, I agree because, like I said. It, baseball and in hockey they at least you know they have the their aav is the the essentially the, their cap hit the nba they've at least sort of smoothed it where you mm-hmm. can only have you know increases or decreases and it's within a range of that aav ba- football man you could go from a 5 million cap hit to the 27 million cap hit and then back down to a 15 depending on how they structure so you know it, it some teams that like you said if they're not smart it's gonna hurt them and it may hurt them because of this year uh with it dropping so much but then if it goes up it it, it helps them in some instances you know it, it you're right the nfl their system is so fluid and maybe that's how they want it because then it forces teams to have movement in some some respects um the problem with the problem with the AAV system, Scott, and it's what we've been harping on with baseball for a long, long time, is the only way to lower that AAV on big contracts is to make them twelve-year deals, and right. there's nothing more, uh, you know, more fake in the NFL than a long-term deal. It just doesn't exist because unless that deal is fully guaranteed, which is a pipe dream, it's just a it's just a fabrication. So you would you would have so much more funny money, funny cap, you know eight-year deals that are actually two-year deals. I'd be sitting here on Twitter like a, 
you know, like a crazy person trying to explain to people that, you know, <laughs> Josh Allen did not get a 14 year deal. He got a three year deal that can be out yeah. after two year deal, two years. If the bills, you know, I, I don't want any part of that for sure. So that to me is the biggest con to the AAV structure. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but look, here, here's the reason I'm, I'm having this sort of tangent with you. Franchise tags, transition tags, they're tied to the cap. (laughs) They're tied. It's like the maximum contract structure in the NBA. There's an integrity part of this where, you know, you can't just go way up or way down at any point in time because then this current class of players in the NBA that are eligible for max contracts either get a huge benefit or a huge demotion based on where the league cap just happens to be. It's similar in a very smaller spectrum with these tags and with the rookie wage, all these things. So you're, you're, you're doing your, your league a disservice right now because there's going to be a class of players who deserve to get paid, deserve multi-year contracts, and they're going to get stuck on a tag. I'm looking at wide receivers and running backs exclusively here. The wide receiver tag is projected to be less than $16 million. Uh, your, your top receivers in the league right now are, are in the 22 to $25 million range in terms of an AAV. That's a gigantic gap. Same goes with the running back. The running back tag projects to $8.5 million versus McCaffrey and Kamara are up in the $15, $16 million mark. It's literally a half payment on a one-year tag. It's a no-brainer, right? I mean, if, if the Packers don't tag Aaron Jones, I'd be shocked at this point. I'd be absolutely shocked, even though they have depth of the position and you really never pay a running back. They're probably going to transition tag him because it's a little bit cheaper, but that's my point. I mean, all, all, most of these notable players, in my opinion, are going to get, are going to get tagged because then what happens? Even if they're not happy, now you go to teams with cap space and say, all right, let's work out a trade. The, the tag and trade to me should be the, one of the biggest devices used in February and March, maybe more so than ever because tags are, the tag figures are tenable. So that, you know, the, the team can take on that mark for as long as they need to here. And then you're right. Like I said, there's going to be, you're going to want draft picks to, to sort of flip your roster and get, make it a little bit cheaper. And t- like I said, there's 20% in the league that has significant cap space and you're going to be targeting those teams. And that's, I'm not talking bad teams. The Colts are on that list. The Packers are up there. There's some good teams that are sitting with cap space right now that are kind of looking to pounce and, and make a, a smart improvement here or there. So it, it all kind of folds into this franchise tag conversation because, you know, when I say that Dak Prescott's getting a second franchise tag and it's $37 million, he is, by the way, there's no, not even a discussion to have there. He's getting a $37 million tag slapped on him, but I can't say for certain that that means he's playing, he's a playing 2021 on that tag B even going to be with the Dallas Cowboys in 2021. Can we say that right now? With all these other quarterbacks being moved, how can we how can we certainly say that? You know, right? Yep. I, I mean, would wouldn't you take Dak Prescott at one for thirty seven million right now? If I told yes. you that he's probably going to get four for one hundred and sixty five on a multi year contract, I think that's probably at least where his floor is—a little over forty million dollars, based on where everything else has come to. I the the, the franchise tag values are just that right now. They're values. They are steals in some cases. So let's let's run down the list. Just just run through this piece, Scott, that I that I put up on SpotTrack.com. Find a name and let's talk about it because there's a lot of really notable names here. Let's go with 
Um, T.Y. Hilton. Good one. I don't think it happens because that wide receiver tag is upwards of $16 million and his injury slash age just kind of says he's more of a, of a role, WR2 now, um, even though he can certainly get into the end zone and, st- and still make some serious impact. I'll push, I'll push it back to you. Let's say he doesn't get the tag. Does he come back to Indy, or does Indy have to, have to upgrade? I'm going to say it depends on what quarterback is there. Nice. Because I, it, I think it does. I mean, if, if they go a different route and they go, you know, young quarterback in the draft, he may say, I'm out. I want to go to a team that is going to be more competitive with an experienced quarterback. I don't want to have to deal with the young quarterback. If they trade for a veteran quarterback to bring in, mm-hmm. then perhaps he comes back knowing that, all right, I know this guy has been in the league. I know what he is capable of, and I want to be back on this team again. So – I got to backtrack a little bit, and this is a conversation I wanted to have anyway. T.Y. Hilton's franchise tag would actually be $17.4 million. Here's why, which is, you know, a million and a half more than the projected wide receiver tag. The, the tag value for a specific player is the greater of the franchise tag value for that year or 120% of his last year compensation, not including the workout bonus. So because he made X dollars in 2020... 120% of what he made last year actually comes out to $17.4 million as a tag, which makes it even less likely that he's getting a franchise tag. I'm going to give yeah. you a team right off the top for T.Y. Hilton um, because I think they need to address it in, in droves, not just one or two players. But I'm going to put him in Green Bay right now as, <laughs> a, as Devontae Adams' number two man. And just to calm this Aaron Rodgers situation down immediately. Now, he's got injury history. There's some red flags, of course. But this is a guy that loves the score in the red zone, which, (laughs) boy, that couldn't be more topical at Green Bay right now. Um, I just think that's a perfect fit. Just get it done. It's not going to be a – I've got him at about 11, 12 million per year. He can probably get less or take less to go to Green Bay and play in that offense. That, to me, is just a perfect marriage. So there's a – there, we fixed the Packers already. So, so let me ask you this. <laughs> if the Colts tagged Hilton yeah. and then flipped him to the to the Packers, what would the Packers have to give up to, to get Hilton? That, that's the million-dollar question with all of these trades. I can't even tell you what it takes to well, get don't the they sh- have to – isn't it a, at least a first-round pick or something in there, some kind of rule? No, it, it's, it's, no, it's just straight compensation at this point. Oh, okay. It, it would be up there. I mean, a tagging trade is – is is going to be very very powerful I think this year. It, am I thinking of the tr- transition tag that has to have a yeah? There's some compensation. To it? There there's compensation to lose the player for sure. Yeah. The I gotta go back to Dak Prescott. W- what is your take on this? I'm sure you've heard the media kind of blitz through this over the past week. I mean, it's that time of year. It is. I don't know the right move. Because is, is yeah, he going to hold either. out? Is he going to hold out with a second tag? <laughs> I I guess it depends on where where he is in his injury recovery and if he thinks he's going to be back. Because if if you don't think you're going to be able to play um, through the first quarter or half of the season, depending on that ankle or leg injury, um, I haven't heard off the top of my head where he's at in that recovery. But if, if he's not starting the beginning of the season, you, you take the tag, I think, because that's 
guaranteed money. Um, if you think you're going to be able to play and you're going to be back 100% to, to start the season, then that, that makes it even more trickier. I'm really torn on this one because I don't like to throw out hot stove stuff too much. I really, I really don't. I don't like to get involved outside of just educating people on what would happen if that crazy rumor actually came to true. I can't get my head around the fact that there might be a way for Russell Wilson to be the Cowboys starting quarterback this year. I, I can't, it, it makes a little bit too much sense to me. It just does. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, Russell's got like 19 million. He'd bring over like 19 million this year, which is like more than half of what Dak would cost you even on the tag. I, it would be so dirty to franchise tag Dak Prescott, have him get injured and then let him flat out walk. I can't even imagine that would happen, but I, I have to put that as a possibility, I guess. I mean, there's clear disconcern in Seattle right now, more than I've ever seen. Generally, they squash these things after a couple of hours, but they are, there is a, a disconnect. You know, Russell Wilson doesn't just take things public lightly. That, that, that was Not a calculated all. move. That was, that was in the Aaron Rodgers club right there of I got to get something off my chest and I want everybody to hear it. That's, that's not his style. So, well, I, well, I don't believe that Seattle is ready to move on. I, there are so many quarterback options right now via the trade that if you're going to do it, I guess this is the year to really consider it because I mean, you know, you could, you could get Derek Carr. You could, get, you know, you could have Dak Prescott. You could have, I can't imagine, but I guess you could have Deshaun Watson in some kind of world. You could have Tua. You know, you know what I mean? I, yeah, I do. There are just so many legitimate ways to change your quarterback on the fly right now that if Seattle really is going to get themselves into at least a discussion about it, this would be the time to do it. So, God, what a Jerry Jones move that would be, though. All right, we got to get off this. That's too much down the rabbit hole. All right. Uh Players, I think, may get second tagged. Leonard Williams, who had a ridiculously comeback store, comeback year in 2020 with the Giants. It's, about, it's over $19 million to tag him again. I think it's going to happen uh, because the multi-year is going to be right around there if he's a legitimate defensive line pass rusher. So I think it makes sense to do that if you're the Giants. I don't know about Joe Tooney, the, the guard with the Patriots. I mean, could you, can you ever imagine the Patriots paying $17 million to a guard? I can't, but... Absolutely not. But I, look, if they're bringing in a new quarterback, shoring up the offensive line has to be step number one for that. So there's a calculated world where that makes sense to me. Hunter Henry, uh, you know, the decorated tight end in Los Angeles, the Chargers, kid can play, kid can't stay healthy, but probably makes sense to throw him on a near $13 million second tag and make sure he and Justin Herbert can have, have another good season together, take some progressions together forward before you, you sign him to a multi-year. Uh, you know, these, these edge rushers, Bud Dupree, Matt Judon, they're probably, they both have injury situations. You know, their tags are up 19 million. I can't see that happening. So, so what about Tampa Bay, Scott? I'm going to push this on to you. I've got two players here. I've got Chris Godwin. I've got Shaq Barrett. I imagine they want both back. Of the two, who comes back? Is it both one or the other or none? And of the two, which is most likely to get the franchise tag? 
I'm going to say Godwin gets the, the tag okay. and he'll be back uh, because Tom likes his weapons and you're going to appease to Tom. Obviously, the defense helped win that Super Bowl in, in shutting down the Chiefs. So I'm going to say Barrett doesn't get tagged. He goes out and sees what the uh, market is for him and then potentially ends up back in Tampa Bay. Okay. Yeah, that could be, you know, Miles Garrett money to some degree. Uh, right. That, that could get ugly fast, but it could also be a Jadavian Clowney situation where time and uh you know a lack of true demand means his uh his price drops back into tampa bay's ballpark well and i'll say this because godwin's projected tag is 15.8 and barrett's is 18.9 i think with the impending drop and you know less money being able to be spent you go with the lower tag in hopes that barrett you can negotiate a deal that is going to be less than 18.9 per year and, and, and spread that out to help if you do bring him back. And yeah. I think that's what a lot of teams are going to have to, to figure out is out of all of these positions, which one is the most valuable to tag at so that you can, you know, spend the money elsewhere if they do sign that tag and play under that tag. Right. I mean, if, if Dak signs that second tag immediately, that's thirty-seven-seven that hits Dallas's cap. Right. <laughs> that's immediately. Yeah. Immediately. So you know that is a problem. So that's that's why, a like you saying, Aaron Jones. Here. Yeah. That, that, that's why you saying Aaron Jones. If he if they tag him at the eight-five, that that's a no-brainer for Green Bay right now so. because and even less on I mean, a transition tag, Scott. Even less. And, and maybe though, right. maybe he gets offers. I, I imagine he would get offers if they transition tag him. And they'd have to match those. But I think either way, he's getting some form of a tag, not just being let to walk. Let me ask you this. With the second-time taggers, for hypothetical purposes, say a guy gets tagged for the first time this year and then they're tagged a second time next year, but the cap goes up a certain amount, so they're, what is it, 120% of what they made in their first cap, so... Say the cap outruns that 120% of that greater first of the cap. Two. Greater of the two. Greater of the two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. They'll, they'll win out in that one. Uh, that's not likely, though, in my opinion. But you're, I guess there's a chance with if it gets back, if, if they, you know, overcorrect. Yeah, fans, <laughs> if, if, right, if, if fans can, and, you know, the football season is nine months away, eight months away here. Yeah. You know, if fans can somehow be more in the stadium, they're going to have that influx of cash that they didn't have this year. And then we may see, and you know, like the NBA where they had that TV money and all of a sudden, you know, we've got this increase of cash in the system, yeah. you know, and I, and I believe what direct TV and that whole situation is, is coming up pretty close here. So it sounds it like that's going Amazon that, too, right? Which is it big sounds time like money. that, <laughs> yeah. So the the stars may align where you have this influx of people coming back in, revenue coming back in from one avenue, and then you get another avenue in in media, um, maybe a double edged sword there to uh, to go through. But I mean that that's a, a super pipe dream right now. But I was just curious. And yeah, the, the, I, good to know. I think it can't be overstated how how different. 2021 versus 2022 might be for a lot of things 
And I guess that's what I mean by <clears throat> it's even more reason to use a tag this year because it literally puts a placeholder on whatever situation you have right now with this player. You know, if that's Chris Godwin, you know, or Allen Robinson, which I'd hate to see him get tagged, but I think Chicago may have to go that right to keep him. Um, you know, at least that there's one, there's a one year kind of transition period for the whole league to kind of get through this. And then, you know, will they overcorrect? That's the mistake the NBA made, right? They bumped, they ballooned that cap up a ton yep. in one year, paid for it dearly a couple of years later. And uh, I don't think that will be the case, but I think the league's learned from that. So it's probably going to be a gradual increase, which is more reason to make it a gradual decrease in my opinion. But uh, tags are going to get used. There's no question about it. You know, the big names are going to be sitting out there. Uh, a guy like Will Fuller is interesting because of his, his pending suspension right now. That's going to carry into 2021 and the quarterback situation in Houston. But there's a, there's a lot of real names in this list. So uh, make sure you check it out. Hit me up at Spotrack on Twitter with any questions or if, if you think I missed a player. What, what are the dates for these franchise tags? Like, can they be franchise tagged now? You know, until... we don't know that answer yet, Scott. It's the NFL. No. Um, <laughs> well, estimate it. And then if, if they are tagged, what is the time frame that they can do an extension? I know there's a deadline yeah. for that. All right. Good question. We don't even know the actual league year start yet. That has not, not been 100% solidified. I'm under the assumption that the league is going to start March 17th, 4 p.m. Eastern. So all the uh, the guaranteed dates, the bonus dates you see on Track for 2021 are based off of a March 17th start date, which puts the franchise tag window February 23rd-ish to March 9th-ish, somewhere in between those two. Those two yeah, 23rd to the 9th is probably the two-week window that I'm estimating for these franchise tags. Uh, that's to just to designate the tag. In terms of then extending that player to a multi-year contract, that runs till July 15th. So teams have quite a bit of time to get this done. You know, get yourself through free agency, get yourself through the draft, and then you can figure out what you have to do from there. Uh, you know, that's going to be the case. But I think well before that, a lot of these tags are going to be done with the purpose of trading. So it's going to be, we're going to tag this guy in February, try to trade him in March. That's I, mean, I think mm-hmm. a lot of these players are going to be in that boat. So... Now, that, those, those players that are tagged, if they're tagged in, in that February range, trades cannot go official until that league year, March correct? 17th, yeah. And, and, yeah. and by the way, the player has to sign the tag to be traded. So there's almost like a little bit of a, a no-trade clause built into it where the player, so can, the player has to play ball. So, so that's, that's an interesting caveat there because if they sign it and want to get traded, are they able to have negotiations with the other team and say, yeah. all right, if I'm going to be traded, I'm just going to sign an extension the minute I'm traded to that team. Yeah. There's a lot of wink, wink that happens there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then certainly when you're in the league year, that's going to be uh, open negotiation at that point, essentially. But you know, that's what makes the transition tag. And, and, and you know, I, I don't want to understate that teams that don't want to give multi-year contracts or don't want to pay top dollar for their current players in some cases, you know, bears with Allen Robinson. If they if they don't want to go twenty two million a year for Allen Robinson, even though they think he might get that elsewhere, that's when you do a franchise tag. That's when you go with the with the tag that doesn't allow teams to come in and make an offer. But like I said, with Aaron Jones, if you if you could see yourself extending Aaron Jones and you don't think a team is going to go sixteen million dollars a year for him on a multi year contract, you can take a chance on the transition tag, a lower a lower tag. You know, let Miami make an offer 
for, for Aaron Jones. And if it's within your range, you just match it. And then he's yours. And if not, then he walks and you get some compensation for it. So I, it, to me, it makes a little bit of sense to have that back and forth. If you, if you absolutely can't lose this guy and you don't want to pay him the market value, that's what the franchise tag is for here. Um, boy, it'd be interesting as hell to see Dak Prescott get one, huh? <laughs> uh, now that I think about yeah. it, but that's not going to happen. That's just too, uh, that's too fun. That's too video game-ish. But, you know, there's a couple of guys that could be in that boat. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's what Shaq Barrett gets. Maybe he gets a transition tag, and, and they let some of these, uh, you, you know, cap space-friendly teams try to value Barrett on a multi-year contract. If you mentioned Dak. I'll just end with this, with my question. If Dak's already been tagged once, if he is transition tagged, is there a percentage increase, or does no. it default back to the transition tag for the first time? Yeah, it's going to be the 120%. He's going to have to get the, the 120% increase no matter what. It's just going to be the semantics of how that works. Gotcha. Okay. Um, another guy in that boat, transition tag, uh, Johnu Smith, tight end Tennessee, could be in that boat. I think uh, Tennessee wants to keep him. They may want they they may want to see how other teams value him. So doing that before March with a transition tag and, and getting some offers would be a smart way to do that. You can kind of see what the market's going to be, and if you even have a chance in Sam's heck to, to keep him. Uh, so I, that's uh, that's a name I put in that boat as well. All right, check out this piece on Spotrite.com. It's sitting on the homepage. We'll keep it there for a few days, of course. Anything else, Scott, in terms of uh, the the NFL offseason before we switch gears to the NBA? Nope, that's it. Who's the next quarterback to move? Mm, next quarterback to move. Um, is it Carson Wentz? Do you believe in that? No, I, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go. No, I'm 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 tired of saying Wentz. I'll I'll go Carr. I'm gonna go same team, a different player. I'm gonna go Marcus Mariota, and I'm gonna take okay. him to the Bears. Ooh, I'm gonna take him to the Bears. I think he's gonna be the piece that Chicago ends up getting instead of Carson Wentz. And oh, by the way. I love it. I love it. Get it done, Chicago. It's the right move. You're going to get him cost controlled for a year unless you need, think you need to extend him. It's kind of a one-year show-me deal. And you've got an, a nice little backup in Nick Foles you can keep. I would imagine you, you wouldn't have to move on from Foles. He's cheap. I, I love it. So no to Carson Wentz. Yes to Marcus Mariota in Chicago. That's my, that's my prediction here in the next couple of days. All right, let's switch gears and talk some basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by the Online Betting Guide. Do you consider yourself an NBA expert like Keith Smith? About to join us. Knowledgeable in stats, trends, plays, and injuries. Prove your skills against other knowledgeable basketball fans at OLBG.com's NBA Pick'em Contest. It's free to enter. You pick your NBA games, win cash prizes. And oh, by the way, at the same time, this is a sports betting community where expert handicappers share their predictions and also share their tips on how to make informed betting decisions, on how to get better at your picks, on how to make smarter decisions, when to bet, when not to bet, it's kind of a whole leaderboard of top betters. It's free to get in. Show them what you got today at OLBG.com. Welcome back to the OLBG hotline. Scott Allen, Keith Smith. Keith, I'll start with you. We're, we're into the swing of things here. I mean, the, the trade deadline's approaching. We're sort of getting towards All-Star <laughs> weekend, whatever that may be. Just your general thoughts on how the truncated late start NBA season has gone and kind of open that up to the injury scene, obviously the COVID stuff, but what's your general sense around the league right now with how players, coaches, teams are handling this kind of truncated season? 
I think you're seeing some of the teams be very cautious with, with players. They're, the slightest thing is holding them out of games, things that they might have played through in years past. I think there's a sense of we're, we're not going to uh, fully commit to being part of this sprint. We we want to make sure we're in a good position come playoff time, uh, seed-wise, but more importantly, health-wise. So you're seeing guys sit out games fairly regularly uh, when they're things that it seems like in past years they might have played through and then the other piece is i think what's adding to that is the league is um not only is the schedule condensed the standings are condensed everybody seems like they are uh still really tightly uh packed together uh, outside of the minnesota timberwolves are the only ones that are really kind of out of it in either conference even the detroit pistons at six and 18 are only four games out of the play-in so I think the advent of the play-in plus the teams that are in those top six spots being so tight together, everybody's looking at it and saying, well, you know, there's no reason to push overly hard because I don't know that the distance is going to get created where we need to make sure we win every single game. So that's a smooth transition then to, you know, this approaching trade deadline. Is that going to fool some teams into thinking that they're that they can exist in the postseason? Or is that conservative approach going to going to carry through pretty much throughout the entire regular season, Keith? I, I think the teams that maybe don't run things so well will get fooled. Uh, I'm nervous about some Give of those names, teams Keith. looking. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, th- I think, uh, you know, if you look at it, the Washington Wizards uh, historically have, have uh, you know, struggled to put together uh, really good teams. I'm worried about them uh, convincing themselves, you know, hey, we're only three games out, you know, a good week of basketball. And we make a run here. Um, I'm worried about the Knicks, the Cavs, the Bulls at kind of looking at it and saying, you know, all right, well, we can get into the play. And now on the flip side, I fully understand why that would be important to those teams that haven't been uh, they, they've they haven't played relevant games past January in, in years. So so I get that part of it. But I do wonder how many of those teams are going to commit to. All right, we're all in for making the play in uh, here. And then the, the team that I'm pretty close to here in my uh, adopted hometown of Orlando, the the magic. It's not that they're not well run because I think they've done a good job. I'm just afraid that they're going to say, well, we just got to get healthy enough to get into that play in mix and then we can get back into the playoffs. And I think this is a position where because there's going to be so few sellers. If you're a seller, it's going to be your market to control and they could really set themselves up well for the future versus making a run to maybe get the eight seed and then. Well, we know they win the first game of every series, but then get gentlemen swept out in four straight that that those are the things that I worry about is, is these teams are going to be looking at it, but we're still a month out from things really picking up trade deadline wise. Uh, Cause then we'll only be a couple weeks out from the deadline at that point. So I think we're, we'll, we'll see, you know, who falls out between now and then. Is that why the Knicks pulled the Derrick Rose trade now, sort of to, you know, they're in the ninth seed, but if they they make this trade now and upgrade their point guard and uh, sort of help push them further than the ninth seed up to maybe seven, eight, maybe even six, depending on, you know, like you said, those uh, standings are condensed right now, but is that why the Knicks are pulling the trigger now on this trade? Yeah, my understanding was they wanted to get that done because Rose, uh, not in a bad way, wanted out of Detroit, but he he knew that that Pistons team wasn't really going anywhere. The Pistons looked at it and said, hey, we're in agreement. Let's let's get this done. So I, my understanding was the Knicks wanted him, and rather than let's let's – 
play this out a few more weeks and then maybe, you know, a good team loses a point guard and all of a sudden, instead of just giving up a uh, player who wasn't part of your future in a second round pick, that's not even one of your own second round picks and not even really probably going to be a very good one. It was you, you might have been forced into paying a bigger price. You, you might have had to get into multiple picks or a, 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 a player with more upside or something like that. So I think that's why the Knicks moved now uh, to do that, because the, the opportunity was there without it being a very big cost. So so you're, you might see a couple more moves like that over the next few weeks. But I think it's more likely to be these teams are going to convince themselves we got to give this time to see where we're at as far as you know playoffs or uh, play in um, and see where where we're going from there. Keith, last question, kind of on the global outlook of the season here. I want to switch it more to the financials real quick, if you don't mind. In your opinion, has anyone recklessly spent? this season based on what you're saying, based on the conservative approach, based on the truncated season, you know, the, the condensed standings, is anybody a little bit reckless at this point where you may see them shedding or just faltering down the stretch here? That's a really good question. I, I don't, th- I mean, the Warriors, the, that's a whole different stratosphere <laughs> with what they've done uh, spending money wise for a team that looks like they're probably going to be in that six to 10 range. I, I do think they'll make the play in, uh, but I, it's, but because of who they are and they're trying to maximize the window with Curry and green, I, I don't see them selling. So beyond that, I think the other teams that have pretty hefty payrolls have to be looking at it and feeling pretty good about what they've done. Philadelphia is in first place, Brooklyn. We, we know what they did. Uh, both LA teams look pretty good. Milwaukee looks pretty good in Utah. The other team that, over the tax right now looks excellent. So I think all of the tax teams outside of the Warriors are in really good positions. So I don't think they're going to regret it. The one team I do wonder a little bit, they're not a tax team, but they're hovering right around the edges is the New Orleans Pelicans. I do wonder if they're going to look at this and say, boy, you know, we, if we had it to do all over again, we wouldn't do the Steven Adams extension in the, that the sort of moves that they made there, because that, that kind of, it not only did that add uh, money to the payroll this year as you moved Drew Holiday out, you added additional salary and the like, but it also added uh, money onto the books for future seasons. And I think that that's something where I think we could see the Pelicans look at this and say, well, you know, rather than deal with the Lonzo Ball free agency and what that might look like and the whole complexities of restrictive free agency with qualifying offers. Maybe they move on from him and JJ Redick knocked that tax bill down a little bit this year. But again, much like every other team, they've won uh, three, three games in a row at the, or they lost uh, their most recent game, but they had gone on a little bit of a winning streak, which pushed them right on the edge of the playoffs. So maybe that's not the way they're thinking. It's really difficult to, to figure that out right now. What is your take with uh, the Lakers and LeBron James? Because he hasn't missed a game this season, I believe. And it seems like he's giving a uh, fill in the blank expletive to the, the rest of the league and saying, I've still got it. I'm, I'm, I'm going for this MVP because I didn't get it last year and I felt I should have had it. But what is your take on that? Yeah, the, the thing that concerns me with, with that is I thought they'd take a much more conservative approach to the yeah, regular I think we season. All did. 
Yeah, especially with LeBron, right? I, it's we're seeing him play, you know, up in the forties and minutes, somewhat regularly, and those kind of things. Their games have largely been competitive, despite the fact that they're twenty and six. Uh, they, they get the occasional blowout, and when they do, it tends to be a massive blowout, which pushes their scoring differential much higher than I think you would think it is. But if you eliminate uh, those handful of games, that they're they've been in very tight competitive games, including several over the last couple of weeks with teams like the Pistons and the Thunder and teams like that. So we think that's where LeBron is pushing uh, pretty hard because he knows Anthony Davis has been in and out of the lineup. And if they're going to win these games, he needs to push really hard. And I, I wonder if what part of it is for him is individually, of course, there's the winning motivation, but then there's also the, Hey, I, like you said, I can still do this. I'm still, you know, the best player in this league. And I do think he's really making a really great case for an MVP trophy. And I think if it's close, he'll get some of those votes from the people who look at it and say, well, you know, LeBron could have won it, you know, this year, this year, this year, and this year, and he didn't. And this might be the last time he could win one. Let's make sure he gets this one. And that may be where that goes. But then from the team perspective, I, I think they're starting to look at it and say, boy, you know, if we don't get to the one seed, we might make this path to the to the Western Conference finals and then finals more difficult on ourselves than it really need be. And I think that's what what they may be uh, looking at as well, why they may be pushing a little harder than we thought to win some of these regular season games. It's got to be a Tom Brady carryover too, right? (laughs) I mean, mean, these these (laughs) older superstars have to be rubbing off on each other at that point and maybe a little bit recklessly in terms of the motivating, motivating factors. But yeah, there's no question he's pushing more than any of us thought it was going to happen. It's, it's working, but is it sustainable? That's the, that's the worry. Uh, speaking of which, uh, you know, same story, a little bit less result in terms of Steph Curry and the Warriors. You mentioned them already. We all kind of know the financial situation they're in. So, you, you know, just looking at the numbers, Keith, it, it makes sense why they're pushing so darn hard to at least be competitive this season. There's really no choice. They can't be terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. But... but <laughs> You know, the Kelly Oubre situation is starting to work out. I think maybe three weeks ago for me, he was a a trade deadline guy. And maybe you try to flip him for something because, you know, there just wasn't a future there. I'm not sure that's the case anymore because if they want to compete for that play, and I think he's a, he's an integral part of that. I, I guess, you know, I don't want to give you the, the softball. Are they buyers or sellers? But just what's your general sense of these Warriors right now? And is it sustainable for, for Steph Curry? Yeah, the the Steph question is is a good good part to start there because I think you have to wonder is he going to hold up physically because he's having to carry a load for that team like the very early years as he kind of came to prominence as a player. It's back to that, but now he's he's much older now on that side. You know, I mean, it's not not that Steph is you know super old. He's going to be thirty three here in about a month or so, but it's still he's on the backside of thirty. That that's tougher for a smaller guard, uh, but. Can Carrying that kind of load is really hard because offensively, although Andrew Wiggins has been much improved and, and I know, I know, I know we've all been down there, uh, down that road with Andrew Wiggins a, a time or 10, it feels like, but yeah. So, so that, that's the first part of it. If you believe Steph can do this all year long and he's been kind of a fringe NBA candidate kind of guy, you'll probably, you'll fifth to seventh on most, most uh, our MVP rankings and the like, then I think you do have to stay committed because to, to your point, you can't, 
it's not enough. Last year that you can write off as that was the aberration year. It was what it was, but as a front office group, a coaching staff in the like, you know, when your ownership has shelled out as much as they have, they also spoke uh, the other day, he said, you know, they lost 70% of their revenue without fans in the arena and the like, and how hard that is. And they're paying for this new arena too, that, that, you, you kind of owe it to, you know, giving your best foot forward. I think the Uber situation is interesting because had he continued to struggle, I think then you're absolutely right. They would have looked and said, all right, let's move this guy along with maybe we can save some money here, lower this tax bill and go. Now that he's played better, I think now you start to almost have a more long-term view in mind of, well, you know, if he's going to play this well, we can resign him. And then we've got kind of a top six of Curry Green, Ubre, Wiggins, Wiseman, and then we've got Clay Thompson coming back next year because Ubre is probably better than any player they can add because all they're going to have realistically is the taxpayer mid-level exception. So with if that's all you've got, you're probably not adding really great talent anyway. So why, why not just resign Ubre as long as he's proven to be a fit, which I think he is starting to figure out. Yeah. I, so are the Bradley Beal to Golden State conversations pretty much dead at this point in your opinion? Yeah, I, I don't know how much was really there anyway, because that was a hard number to match without the Wizards. Right, Curry's not going, Green's not going, Thompson's not going. So that really says to me, it's got to be Wiggins or Ubre and a whole bunch of stuff. And the Wizards have already been down the Ubre path, and they're not going to take on Wiggins, because if you're trading Beal, you're starting to rebuild. So unless you're getting Wiggins, Wiseman, and then a whole bunch of really good uh, draft picks, which... I mean, maybe the Warriors would go that way. You know, I, I don't know. And I think the Warriors are also looking at it and saying, well, you know, next year, if Thompson's back, can we do Curry, Beal, Thompson, Green? That'd be interesting. I mean, that, that, that you know, that's more shooting than I think we've ever seen any team put on the floor together. But but that's where I th- think it goes. And then also, I trust when Beal and the Wizards both went on the record with the Athletic and said, Beal, I don't want to trade in the Wizards. We don't want to trade him. I believe that. Personal opinion, I think that's the wrong decision by the Wizards. I think that's the only real way out of this salary cap mess you're in and to really launch your team into a rebuild that makes a lot of sense for you. But I, I do believe them when they say we're committed to the making this work here in Washington. So uh, I got a chance to actually watch a little basketball last night, believe it or not, now that football has died <laughs> down. Um Mavericks found a way, which has been rare this season, Keith. And, you know, it's kind of in the Luca Russell Westbrook of old show, right? These, these false triple doubles, uh, you know, I'm not sure where he, where he fits right now in terms of the grand scheme of things, but I don't, that's just not a roster that I expect to win consistently right now. And, and maybe not even in the next couple of seasons, it seems the off season moves aren't kicking in. They're not settling in. So where is Dallas going in terms of, not just this year, but maybe, you know, the next two to three year window where Luca is going to have, you know, a ton of value in terms of his rookie contract. Yeah. I think if uh, there are a handful of teams that become sellers, I think Dallas becomes one of the more interesting teams to keep an eye on, because I think what you could see the Mavericks do, I like to call it pre-agency where you go trade for a guy who's got a couple years under contract versus just waiting for free agency to sign someone. And the reason why I say that is Dallas has some big expiring contracts and Tim Hardaway Jr. and James Johnson. Uh, you could even add Boban to that. Uh, Josh Richardson's 
a de facto expiring because we all expect him to opt out next season. He's even indicated that's where his head was at pre before the season started. Uh, so what I think you're going to see is if a team falls out, like, let's say Orlando falls out of this, I think you could see Dallas really look at this and say, you know, maybe we go get an Aaron Gordon and, you know, maybe an Aaron Gordon and a Terrence Ross, both. And we pay the price and that, that brings those guys in. And now we've kind of re fashioned ourselves around Luca with a, with a shooter and a, a versatile defender in that that's the kind of the way we're going. Cause clearly they were planning on making a big run at Giannis this summer. And then when, when Giannis came off the board and, and decided to stay in Milwaukee, I think, you know, Dallas, unless they really have some Intel that none of the rest of us do that, uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard is is coming to town, uh, which I don't expect that to be the case at all. You really got to start to look at it and say, all right, what are we going to spend all this cap space on? There really isn't anything worth going after. So why not do it in trade? Take on a little bit longer term money as long as the fits are better. So that's where I think the Mavericks become a very interesting team. Challenge is you need the seller to be there to help them uh, build this roster up. Because I'm with you. This roster is good enough to get to the playoffs. The question is, can they do anything when they're there? That part, I think, I'm, I'm a lot less sure on, especially against the better teams like the LA teams, even Denver, who I know has had some struggles in Utah. I just don't know if Dallas is on that level. Right. And you make a couple of good points there. They were clearing cap space for a Giannis, for a Kawhi type player to come in and be that number two, that number one next to Luca, essentially. They don't have a first round pick that goes to the next with the Porzingis deal still. So it's not a, there's not a clear path forward outside of what you're laying out here. So I think there's no question that they need to find a partner and really make some sort of big expiring sell, like you're saying, which has been the trend, you know, in the, in the third quarter of the season here. So I, I agree. I think, I, I think they have to understand what they are right now, even if they're fringe playoff t- uh, contenders at this point. Uh, Scott, what, what's next for us here? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Dallas, whether they're sellers or, you know, most likely going to be sellers. Are there any other names that you can think of that may be on the move? I mean, you just talked about Beal's probably not going to go to the Warriors, but um, you know, are there any names that stick out from game feed that you've watched or um, rumblings that you've heard in the background that guys that we should be looking out for to potentially be going to a different team? Yeah. Everybody's got their eye on Oklahoma city. Uh, they, they've hung around this, this, you know, play-in amount. Uh, they've really overachieved beyond what I think anybody expected they'd be. But it, no one expects Sam Presti to really say, all right, let's do this. Let's, let's make this run now. That's not what he's been building towards. So I think what everyone is focused on there is George Hill, number one. It feels like George Hill gets traded, you know, every other trade deadline at this point <laughs> in his career. Um, but, you know, but it's because he's he's always on a reasonable contract and he's a good combo guard off the bench. So so I expect to see him moved. Something will happen with Trevor Ariza, whether they go the Andre Iguodala route and a team picks him up by a trade or they, they buy out. Uh, his contract will probably buy out Darius Miller at some point would be my guess. Then the question, the bigger name and the bigger question becomes Al Horford. Uh, is there a team out there willing to take on Horford's contract 27.5 this year, 27 next year, and then a little over half guaranteed uh, in his final year of these 14.5 million guaranteed of 26.5 million. And then that goes up uh, based on the, his team's success uh, from there. If, if 
they they make the finals um, uh, or win the finals. So so I, I think a lot of people are looking at the Thunder as far as that goes. There, I've heard a little bit of teams um, kind of looking around the Pistons still. Uh, there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, we should go get Jeremy Grant. That's not happening. Jeremy Grant's not going anywhere. Um, he, he's kind of a long-term piece for them. But, got, you know, uh, role players, Wayne Ellington, uh, a couple of their, their other guys like um, Delon Wright, potentially. Uh, Blake Griffin, we could put that out. No one's going to trade for him, and they're not going to buy him out because it's too much money to buy out. And then the last guy I'll give you that everyone expects to be moved at some point is Andre Drummond because the Cavs are now they're starting to struggle. They're starting to play a little bit like what we expected, uh, it, but they've got their center in the future for, for the future in Jared Allen. And then Andre Drummond, if, if they you know can do something, he's played well enough. And now that he's an expiring contract, they can really, they, they gave up only a second round pick to get him last year. They can move him and get probably a, protected first or a later first uh, back for him. And I think that's a guy who makes a lot of sense to be traded somewhere. The challenge is matching salary, but I think it's enough when when you've got teams like the Knicks floating around out there with 15 million in cap space, still they're going to be the most popular third team in every deal because they can act as a facilitator. So you can definitely get there and make that happen. If you wanted to go get somebody like Andre Drummond. That's a good point with Drummond and Allen. What what do the Cavs do with Kevin Love? Are, are they going to try to move him? Are they just going to buy him out? Or, you know, he's been injured for so long. What do you take there? Yeah, I, I don't think a buyout's on the table because he's still got, what's he got, about uh, $91.5 left. So that's that's not a number you necessarily uh, see bought out. So my guess is uh, you wait it out this year, see where it's at next year. Maybe you can make a move when there's only two years left. Uh, and then at that point, maybe you can start to have that conversation and say, hey, all right, you made your $31 million this season. You know, now we're at 31 million and in 30, 29 million. So we're at, you know, $60 million. We have a conversation about what it would take to get you out of that contract for the rest of the way and go. And I think the important thing there would be for the Cavs is if you're going to buy him out, you're, you're probably not buying him out for too much less than what it's owed, but just eat it as it's owed. Don't stretch it because you stretch that. That's a massive number on your books for the rest that of the is. You know, time. So, so that's, that's the challenge with, with a guy like love. So my expectation with Kevin love is they've got to wait it out for probably at least another year or two and then see, see where it's at at that point. And hopefully maybe he can get healthy and stay on the floor and in a team can, you know, there's always a team out there that will talk themselves into, you know, yeah, he's big, but he can really shoot. He can still rebound. And you know, somebody might, might convince themselves that he's that, he's the fit in that they're you know a Kevin Love away from a title run but right now it's probably not happening this season all right Keith let's finish on this uh I think two or three weeks ago you and I were on here basically saying you know the Jazz are probably the one team that are going to have to blow things up at some point this season whether that's trading Gobert whether that's you know moving on from significant pieces because they just can't seem to figure it out well they figured it out and it, it seems to be sustainable it, it it's driving the Lakers. There's no question that that's been a back and forth and the Clippers have had to really push a little bit more than they'd like to as well because of it. Are these legitimate contenders for the Lakers in terms of the Clippers and the jazz, or is this just a kind of a regular season boom right now? 
Yeah, the Clippers certainly are. And I, and I think, think when everybody looks at it, they really start to think about last season for the Clippers and it just kind of fell apart on them. And I'm not overly worried about that. I think, think they've played like a team this year that knows or we're going to be there at the end. And that, so I, I think they're there. As far as the Jazz go, I really came away from uh, let's call it the last weeks or week or so worth of games, really thinking, wow, you know, Utah, they have figured it out now. Mike Conley looks like Memphis Mike Conley again, whether that's a contract year thing or whatever it is, or just took him enough time to get comfortable there in Utah. But he looks really good. Gobert's doing his thing. Donovan Mitchell has ascended to the point where he's a star now. And, you know, he can get really any shot he wants to get to. And then they've surrounded them with this really good shooting from Bogdanovich and Ingles. Jordan Clarkson is playing fantastic off the bench. Favors gives them a credible backup big man so I do think it's sustainable for the Jazz because when you look at it they're shooting really well as a team but no individual guy is really shooting way over his head if you look at the numbers it's not like anybody is normally a 32 percent shooter and they're shooting 45 percent or anything like that so I think they've got some staying power my question is when you get into a playoff series with the Clippers or the Lakers Mitchell, I trust, can go head-to-head with somebody as a scorer. Who's going to be that second guy to step up there? And then how, who is your, your lockdown wing defender? Ingles can do some of that. Royce O'Neal can do some of that. Bogdanovich is a better defender than he gets credit for. But when it comes to stopping LeBron or Kawhi or Paul George, I don't know that they're – that they've got necessarily that guy on the roster that they can put to nobody stops those guys, but you at least want somebody to make them work really hard. And I don't even know that they've got that guy. So that's where they fall a little bit short, but a Western conference finals run. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's on the table, but I agree with you completely. I, th- I think they're deep. I think they're well built. They're deep. They're positionally set up nicely, but you're right about the defensive aspect of it. But that's something you that's exactly what you what you try to get come deadline yeah. or even buyout market. Right. I mean, that's you can be sitting there. You know, I'm not sure I'm not sure P.J. Tucker is the right answer, but that's just an example I can throw out there that, you know, that's the kind of guy you could bring in with ex, with extreme playoff pedigree who could you could put on a four or five or a power, you know, a, a driving power forward. Those kind of guys are going to be sitting there at the deadline waiting to be pulled into contending teams. So the Jazz are so deep that I think they have one or two contracts that, that could easily move in replacement for some kind of defensive upgrade. I think they're built to win and I think they're built to compete with anybody right now. It just not, not so much how it looks on the court, but how they're built on the roster. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, they, they go nine guys deep uh, and that's, you know, not, not a, not a, you know, thing to overlook by any means. And in the, the important part too, is even if they don't make a move right now, Quinn's you could, uh, Simulate all the way to the playoffs, right? To use a video game term. And Quinn Snyder knows exactly who his nine-man rotation is come postseason, assuming they're all healthy. And that's more important because you've got, you can clearly see a lot of these teams, even a team like the Lakers, I think is still trying to figure out, all right, who are going to be, we know who our top seven are. Who's going to be eight, nine. And if we need to go to 10, who are those guys going to be in our rotation in a big playoff game? Clippers are still sorting through their backup options uh, in the East. Philly does still doesn't really know what their bench uh, I think fully looks like, and they're still trying to figure that out. Milwaukee, they they've got holes for sure um, coming off their bench that they've got to sort 
through. But yeah, I think the Jazz and the Jazz have the benefit, unlike those other teams that I just mentioned, although they're over the tax, but I think there's a sense of, all right, if we're already in the tax, they've got this new really rich owner who you know he would love to have his first uh, mm-hmm. uh, thing under his stewardship be a really deep uh, playoff run and may make him, you know, a big, big time push in the playoffs why not, you know, go a little bit deeper into the tax. There's no reason why you can't do that. So I think that's where, as you look at this team, it is, yeah, if that move comes up where it's, hey, you know, it's going to cost Royce O'Neal and somebody, but we can get this guy who can really help build out our roster and make us really good, then I do think you could see that make that kind of move versus those other teams. They're a lot more limited because they're hard capped or in Philly's case, they're so far over the tax where I think Utah is better position to add something to their roster. Great stuff. He's at Key Smith NBA on Twitter. He's all over the place with the, the numbers, uh, day-by-day breakdowns. He's, he's, a, he's a tape watcher. He does it all in terms of uh, <laughs> the NBA regular season and, and the offseason. Thrilled to have him back on the show. Scott, Key, thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. You have a good one. Y'all stay safe. You too. All right. My special thanks to Keith Smith at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. He's a great follow. Great follow, especially during the uh, the regular season here. He's really all over it in a way that Scott and I really just don't have time for. So <laughs> he's an outstanding little addition to our community. We love having him on board. My thanks to Scott for his work today, bringing a lot of, to the table as usual and to the website, by the way, for The Athletic. For OLBG.com, the online betting guide. My name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.